Hey, you all. Welcome to Active and Connected Families. Today, we are a few days out of the tragedy that occurred at UVA. And by the way, I listened to the podcast that I recorded last week about helping our kids feel safe in a world that feels increasingly unsafe. I recorded it the morning after the shooting, and I sound so sad and so scared and quite honestly, way less hopeful than I usually feel in the world. I'm sure you can hear it. I feel really raw and really vulnerable listening back to it, but I've gotten some great feedback on how useful the topic was and I guess how honest I sounded in that intro. So go ahead and take a listen to it if you haven't done so yet. In the meantime, I have gone to swim practice. I've spent some really focused time with my kids and my family, and I'm feeling better. So today on the pod, we're going to be talking about how community trauma can trigger the trauma of our past, whether that trauma is related to gun violence, being in college, or even just our experience during the pandemic. Sarah Lewis of the Lewis Practice, as always, anchors me as she talks about why this happens, the signs and symptoms of a trauma, and what you can do about it. We both want to remind you that it is absolutely okay to feel sad and scared, as well as joy over the next few weeks and through the holiday time. Thanks so much for listening, everybody, and happy Thanksgiving. Active and Connected Families is a smart, relatable conversation with me, Dr. Amanda Sovic-Johnston, child psychologist, mother of three, and entrepreneur. I've spent my career providing family therapy and supporting high-achieving mothers, and maybe even more hours with my girlfriends trying to figure out how we can all feel more confident in our work and our relationships. And you all, there's one thing I've noticed. We're all struggling in some of the same places, and we're all looking for some down-to-earth advice that we can actually use. So on Active and Connected Families, I'll share some of the insights I've learned, strategies for those daily fights about laundry, some expert perspective on the bigger issues like the mental health crisis, and me chatting with my therapist friends about how we can all feel a little more active and connected in our lives. Throughout, I hope to make you laugh at least once, but I know I'll leave you with something that'll help you become a better parent and maybe even person. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi, Amanda. I'm good. As good as we can all be right now this week, right? I know. I do. When your face popped up on the Zoom screen, I did feel a sense of calm that I haven't felt this week. Me too. Just being able to connect with you. I mean, it's, you know, I think I rely on some core people during more heightened stressful times because I know that they get where I am with it, especially as a provider. So Mm -hmm. it is to see you. And I'm so glad to be able to connect right now, especially. I totally agree. This is we're launching right into the purpose of the podcast, which is essentially, how does community trauma trigger our old traumas or our old hard experiences? And what does that look like? And I'm bringing that up so immediately right now. But because During the pandemic, we were talking all the time, like every day during that hard, sad time. And so I immediately, when this happened, you, Caroline, and I were like right back on a text chain, like, oh my gosh, this is so tough. How are we going to help people and support our community and take care of ourselves? Right. And I think the hard part about this particular experience, again, this is another kind of community trauma that we're experiencing kind of 
all together and all a little bit differently, but all at the same time, which not unlike the pandemic, you know, it's kind of like you, you know, the three of us go into the office to try to help folks coping with this, but we also are experiencing it, which again, used to seem unique. And now, unfortunately, it's feeling less unique because it keeps happening. But, um, but, you know, I think it's so important to recognize trauma as a real thing and, and that trauma doesn't, you don't have to be um, at the scene of, of the incident to be trauma. You can be in your own house and feel the trauma of the incident that occurred. Um, and I think it's important to remember, um, depending on what your own personal history is with trauma. Um, and again, trauma is defined in, in a couple of different ways, but you know, what we talk about when we do trauma treatment are big, what we call big T traumas, which are very large events. Um, and incidences. And then we talk about small T traumas, which are smaller things or could be just a lot of childhood chaos, for example, um, growing up. And those are things that register as trauma in our systems, um, but they're cumulative in a sense. So if you have a history of either, really, um, you are more vulnerable in situations of trauma to be what we call re-traumaed, right? To have your um, body and uh, feel a lot more of, of what's going on. And I think, um, what's tough about trauma is that it, it's not like for a lot of people who experience trauma or that have experienced trauma, um, so much of the experience lives in feelings and Mm -hmm. um, both sensations in their body, but also emotional feelings. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of times that's what gets dysregulated. It's not so much like they're constantly thinking about something, but more like they just feel off. So let's talk about that because, you know, what happened in our community was gun violence um, and fear because we were all on lockdown for at least 15 hours in Charlottesville. I think our hearts are all, we all identify with college students because being a college student is such a, what, like, what's the right word? It's like a rite of passage. We all kind of have that space marked in our lives. And so the fact that we can all identify that college students were the people who experienced the big T trauma, Mm -hmm. I think does in some ways trigger our little T traumas because it's very relatable to us because many of us went to college ourselves. Right. And, and oftentimes too, if we don't, if we didn't go to college, we know somebody in college or knew someone who went to college or we're parenting someone at that age. I mean, there's lots of, and, and in, in a town like ours, um, we attend all their, their functions. I mean, with our kids and our families. So we go to these football games, we go to the other athletic events and musicals and plays. And um, so we are part of the extension of the college just by living here. Absolutely. And so honestly, what we've just talked about is the closer we identify to the people who experience a community trauma, the more likely we are to get re-triggered. Or how would I say that as a trauma person? Re- right. Like the if we are identifying with these people who we know saw something terrible mm-hmm. and experienced something terrible, our own past traumas are more likely to come up. Right. So, so our central nervous systems are designed to let us know when we are sensing danger. Um, and therefore they send messages to our brain to, you know, basically create safety in some way, um, which is a lot of what happens with anxiety. 
Um, and so oftentimes, um, when we get these messages that something is, is dangerous or less than safe, um, our bodies are going to respond like they would when, or like they used to respond, um, when we were also in traumatic situations. So it's kind of like, there's almost like an imprint in your central nervous system that already knows how to take these messages and carry them to our brains and light up our amygdala in our brain and kind of send out those danger messages. And, and those danger messages can, can be felt in different ways. We can feel more anxious. Some people might feel more tired. Um, some people can feel physically kind of ill with a stomach ache or headache. Um, some people just feel off. Like I said, that dysregulation of their feelings, like they just feel irritable or mm-hmm. like, I mean, just something doesn't feel right, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, not to, I, to really stress this, when our bodies are doing those things, it's an, it's a very healthy response to an unhealthy circumstance. So the, the reaction that we're having is exactly how we're designed, you know, to respond to this level of stressor. Um, mm-hmm. It just doesn't feel good. And mm-hmm. I think, um, it, again, if you have, if your body has already been conditioned in some way, um, it's not unlike having an old injury, right? Physically. Um, if you've got an old injury, let's say you have an old athletic injury, you and I both mm-hmm. were athletes all the time. You got an old athletic injury, you can re-injure that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the same thing, basically. And that makes so much sense. I think for many reasons, what happened at UVA in this in this community trauma was triggering for parents because it did sort of put us, at least for me, like it put me back in this place of the pandemic where you're out of school. I just, to me, the pandemic, I really do feel like I was traumatized. It, mm-hmm. I was the darkest I have ever felt you all. If you've heard me talk about it, you know, I really struggled in many ways. Um, and kind of the being at home, which felt good in some ways, but also reminded me of all those feelings of the endless days of being at home during the pandemic. And like, I I could feel myself like revving up and like being in a panic Uh because that's how I felt during the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I think again, like, you know, you're doing a beautiful job identifying kind of why that felt that way to you. Like you identified the feeling you were having that day or even still this week and you can kind of identify the source, which is really helpful, actually. Um, I think I encourage folks to to kind of stop and just take a breather and and not go get upset or angry that they're having the feelings they're having, but to to be really kind of compassionate towards themselves and and very like kind to themselves in these moments. Um, and, and smart people always want to figure out why and where it stems from. Mm-hmm. And truthfully, it doesn't really matter why. What matters is to really take care of yourself in that moment. I mean, I'm a parent of a high school senior um, who is a D1 athlete heading to college next year. So I have to say I had kind of a mix of kind of, wow, this is horrendous. Oh, my gosh, my kid leaves next year to be on, you know, to be in college with her classmates and teammates. And um, and again, so it's, you know, it's depending on where you are and what, you know, where you where you're walking right now in your life. It just felt different to everyone a little bit, but also Mm -hmm. very much the same. And I think, um, again, just that understanding that it's really okay and that our bodies are doing exactly what they need to do, which is to have a reaction and, um, and kind of it, your body's kind of always in your central nervous system in particular, always trying to reboot itself, um, or rebalance itself after a traumatic experience. So 
What does that look like, Sarah? Like if there is a community trauma that you experience and it either triggers like an old big T or an old little T for you, what happens? What are you seeing people are struggling with? Like what happens to their bodies? So generally, um, there's some kind of somatic response, which is more like just, it just means that there's something in the body that they feel. It could be that you just feel, like I said earlier, like a little revved up, or you could feel, uh, your sleep could get disrupted. Um, your appetite could change. You could just be a little more irritable. Um, or it could even be like physically you feel bad, like you have a headache or a stomach ache or things like that. Um, and then the other way oftentimes is um, the way we are thinking about things. And oftentimes we'll kind of, you know, it just gets stuck in our heads. So, um, and again, when you, when you're kind of a, when you have smart people and you and I both work with a lot of really smart people, there's a lot of wanting to go back and like check the details, a lot of wanting to go back and read the most recent update news wise. Um, there's a lot of wanting to figure out kind of why this happened, who was there um, why would anybody do this? That those kinds of like, just kind of questions circulating in the brain. And, and I think, um, that's really somebody's attempt to soothe themselves with knowledge. Mm -hmm. If you think about Mm -hmm. it. Um, but that's a very common thing to see as well. And I think oftentimes as adults, we can kind of catch ourselves doing that. I think sometimes when we have younger clients that we work with, um, we have to kind of point that out and, help them kind of move away from that um, kind of ruminating or, or just, you know, constantly rethinking the same stuff and worrying about the same stuff and help them kind of anchor in. I know um, with a lot of my UVA students I was seeing, um, their first question to me was, you know, do you think it's okay if I leave school early and go home? Yeah. I was like, yes, go. Um, and, and mostly not to leave Charlottesville necessarily, but to anchor in um, somewhere that they felt soothed and safe and comfortable. And and same with the folks who live here. Um, I've said kind of the same thing, like find your anchor, which again, Mm -hmm. I think why like you and Caroline and I were in a text thread immediately. Like that's Mm -hmm. my anchor. That's what we've Mm -hmm. done for years now. Um, and I don't see you guys every day. I'm in a different practice. Um, but it was still very soothing to me to wake up. That's the first thing I saw when I woke up. Um, so that was helpful. Um, so it's, it's those kinds of things talking to, you know, friends, like just, um, being able to you know, talk to your significant other, um, it's that anchoring piece. And so for our kids, they oftentimes will anchor into us. And I feel as if I'm seeing a lot of people who are really reliving some of those old traumas or rethinking and having flashbacks and nightmares of those old traumas. Right. That it's a, a lot of it. I mean, I think depending on how much someone has, has been able to spend time working on trauma, working their way through traumatic experience, um, it does kind of kick up that old uh, trauma memories and old trauma feelings. Um, and a lot of times, you know, people can lean into um, techniques that are helpful. They can be anything from a breathing technique to a journaling experience to, you know, many, many things that may have helped them prior to now. I think if it feels like they can't quite get ahead of it, or it just feels a a little bit more um, destabilizing in a way, like, I don't mean that in a mental health way, but just the feeling in your body. um, That's when I do suggest kind of reaching out to a therapist. I think 
um, I've been a trauma therapist for, you know, 30 years now, which is a really long time. But um, I think I get calls around these kinds of things just for a one phone call or a one visit situation. And it's just to re-regulate. It's just to help remind that person, hey, you know what, you know, this really worked well for you last time. Let's try tapping. Let's try EMDR. Let's try, you know, a number of different interventions that may, they just need one visit or one phone call and that's it. And I mean, it sounds like you're the anchor for a lot of people who are calling you now to help with that. Right. I think as therapists, we all are. And I think um, that's really important. And I think we're trained to be people's anchors. So I think that part is can be really helpful. And if you don't have a therapist, um, it's about finding a good friend or finding someone that you feel close to and safe with that's mm-hmm. going to listen um, and not kind of blow off your feelings about it. Because I think that's, you know, no one needs to be um, it's a little bit like telling someone anxious to calm down. Um, when someone is in this kind of trauma state, it, the worst thing to hear is um, don't worry about it. Oh, absolutely. If you are enjoying this episode and want more mental health support for you or your family, visit us at www.virginiafamilytherapy.com. We're a mental health practice with offices in Lynchburg, Charlottesville, and Northern Virginia and we provide teletherapy across Virginia and North Carolina. We offer psychiatry, individual, child, and family therapy, and even have some after-school appointments available. Again, that's www.virginia, spelled out, familytherapy.com. Thanks so much for listening. And I think there there are many people who don't realize the traumas that they had when they were younger. You know, mental health has really only become as big of a thing, right, in the last five or 10 years. So many people my age, we never had therapists when we were younger. I did at one point, but I didn't like her. So I stopped going. (laughs) You know, we didn't grow up with mental health therapists around every corner. And so there are many, many 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 6-year-olds who have who are having these traumas kicked back up now and they they've never dealt with some of that. How do we help that population who doesn't have this therapist to call in and anchor? I mean, I think a lot of those folks um actually have pretty good coping mechanisms that they had to develop because they didn't have some of those resources earlier. Um I think you know, for folks that are less inclined to reach out to a therapist or don't have that, or just feel uncomfortable doing that, you know, I don't usually encourage anybody to go online and Google a solution, but there are, there are resources online and resources that are apps that are really helpful. Meditation is really extremely helpful. Um, being able to, um, again, I think whatever method they used, you know, talking to a good friend that, that isn't necessarily in our community is helpful to, um, I think when you reach out to someone who's also in the community, when you're experiencing community trauma, you really actually risk traumatizing each other more, um, or you, no one really is an anchor outside of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know there are lots of methods to do things just at home that can be soothing. I mean, for some people, it's taking a bath. For some people, it's you know going outside or going for a run or whatever. So whatever's worked in the past in a high stress c- circumstances can be helpful. Um, but also not being afraid to call someone, right. To call a a mental health professional, um, and try that for the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think especially, you know, you and I were just talking a little bit before we started recording, but, um, 
you know, immediately most of the therapists in the community like us in private practice called the university to offer services to support their Mm -hmm. services because they're pretty maxed Mm -hmm. out. Um, So we're all, we're all aware and and on call in a different way right now. And I think part of the reason we do that is because, and the parents listening can think about it this way. I call you so that you can kind of hold me, right? Like you hold me, you help, you're the anchor for me. Sometimes I'm the anchor for you. We're the anchor for each other, but I need an anchor. Mm -hmm. And because I can get an anchor from somewhere else, I'm able to parent my children as their anchor. And that's one of the hardest parts of parenting in general, right? Is being still when our kids are having a hard time. Um, And doing so is really important because now is the time. Some of them are having a harder time right now. I think sadly, some of them, this is, they're just used to it. A lot of kids right now are used to it. And a lot of the parents are freaking out. Mm -hmm. Um, But if we're feeling unanchored or untethered, we can reach out so that we can do a better job for our kids. Yeah. And I I will say one of the, one of the best practices with anytime you're experiencing grief and loss, and I think trauma falls into this category as well, is to find some purpose in what's happening. And I don't mean, you know, going right to the trauma center and doing something in that way, but I mean, just finding something to belong to or be a part of that's bigger than you, that Mm -hmm. also shares whatever feelings you might have to whatever degree you have them and being a part of that. So for example, I know the students organized a vigil pretty quickly on the university Mm -hmm. grounds. Um, many professors went and it was really student run, but they just wanted to be close to the students. They wanted to be, they wanted to be there to be a part of that, to, to support their students. And, um, and I think most of the folks, you know, in their shoes feel like they're meant to keep these kids safe. So it was kind of this helpful purpose for them and for the students at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that. And I think families, I've talked to families, I think you probably have too, about um, if you have kids that are really into the football team. And little things they could do um, to show support to the football team, little things they could do to memorialize these heroes Mm -hmm. on the football team. Um, And so I think in that way, finding purpose that's bigger than you um, to put some of that energy into can also be very helpful. And I think that's how you switch from being a trauma victim to a trauma survivor. Mm -hmm. When you can find, is that right, Sarah? No, I think absolutely when you can take action of some sort. So it's taking action to it's taking action around the, around the trauma to help yourself feel better and actually be a survivor of it. And I think that's the piece too is we're all going to have to be a survivor of this trauma that our community experienced, but I also worry that this is happening across the world at more frequency and we're all going to be survivors of community trauma if if this keeps up. I mean, already, I think you probably experience this in your office and also with your kids, as I did in my house with my kid. I mean, already kids had language around this um, that we, you know, I knew that they did um, because they are aware of what, you know, gun violence is. And, and even in the school and on property that is, you know, their own schools and, and threats and things like that. So it was interesting to realize, though, the reality of that for them um, with this particular incident that occurred here. And mm-hmm. I think it was a little sobering to be, you know, to be truthful. Um, but also 
in that is a little relief because really that's some resilience for our kids already. It's sad. It's the state of where we are. Um, I think it's sad. I should say it's a personal feeling. I don't know that everybody feels that that's sad, but, um, but I think at the same time, what I noticed was this resilience in, in the younger generation because they are aware of this. Mm-hmm. So I think in some ways I was really, that was really kind of, um, uplifting to see that not, you know, they could certainly verbalize how they felt and that this was really tragic and awful, but they also were able to kind of realize and find places to put energy, cope with this trauma and manage their stress and anxiety around it pretty well, um, which is encouraging as well. And one of the things I've been so struck with in, in Charlottesville in particular is that gun violence has been occurring across the Charlottesville community for the last three months, at least. And only this at UVA shut down the whole city. Yeah. And I know that there were many people who were saying, help us, help us. What's going on with the gun violence among our children? Where's the attention? Where's the support? And I'm glad people are letting us know, like letting me know I should have been paying more attention. I am going to be paying more attention throughout. And I also think that I'm going to look for that resilience. I think there that resilience, seeing, I guess, seeing coping strategies from other communities as resilience, like you just did, I think we should all be doing that. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, instead of looking at kind of maybe kids that are I don't know. Can you think of a good example? No, I mean, I think that's a, what you're saying is a really good point. And I think, um, I think, you know, there's, there's, there's privilege in oftentimes on, in traumatic situations um, that surfaces and, and gun violence is one of those. Um, and, and so I think, you know, just the reality that none of us have the privilege of avoiding, you know, the, the impact that gun violence has in our communities. And it's important that we, that we do talk about it and that we talk to our kids about it. And, and there are certain, certainly demographically, there are populations that have had to talk to their children about it. And there are certainly demographics in our area that don't have to talk to our kids about it or haven't until now. And mm-hmm. I think the reality is, and you, you're the one who mentioned this to me. Um, you know, the reality is we should all be talking about this. We should all be talking about it and, I think that as a mental health professional that has really been thinking about gun violence a lot over the past four days, I think that one of the best things I can do to promote mental health for our whole community is to fight really hard for better gun control. Mm-hmm. I think I'm on a little tear around <laughs> the gun control and the trauma that it's creating for everybody, all parts of our country. Right. and it's not a mental health issue because people with mental health problems have access to guns. It's a mental health issue because guns are creating trauma and fear and worry and depression. And we need to address that as the mental health community. Right. And I think, I I think, you know, if you, if you step back and look at communities or or organizations or, or associations that have really taken this on, the medical community has for years taking this on the, the, the world of pediatrics has spoken to this for a really long time. Um, we as mental health professionals talk about this and gun violence because it does ultimately 
injure the people around, and I don't mean physically injure, but emotionally injure people around gun violence all, I mean, 100% of the time. Um, and so we know, you know, no matter how you use this math equation, um, gun violence is going to always have some sort of traumatic impact in some way. And so when we're looking for purpose, because that's one of the things you said is we should have purpose. This is one of the things I'm going to be thinking about significantly more and, and putting more of my own action into. It can be other things for other folks, right? right? Like it can be absolutely other pieces of the community or other other purposes after they're feeling re-triggered from a community trauma, this is just what I'm thinking about now because you can hear me accessing my own stuff. Yes. Cause we're being naked on the podcast as always. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I, I, I think, you know, again, let's take this circumstance again, a tr- very, very traumatic and tra- tragic incident. Anyone who has had any sort of gun violence trauma, I mean, their bodies are lit up. This is their central nervous systems are really working hard to, to, you know, kind of re-regulate from this. And, um, and you don't have to be in Charlottesville for that. You could be anywhere and read this story and feel that way. Um, and, and again, that's what, how trauma works. And I think in any way that we could decrease traumatic experience in, in you know, and in, in something as simple as paying attention to the law and who we vote for and how we do all that, not to get too political, but I mean, just that's how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you could, show up and, and, and again, make a difference in a very easy kind of community way. That's one of the ways I'm aware of. Um, and so, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And I think if you ever spoke to anybody who works in our field or works in like, again, pediatrics or something, you know, they would say the same thing. I think most physicians would as well. Um, it's, it's a rough thing. And I think, again, you know, the other, the other, the other group I wanted to just mention, because again, I work a lot with elite athletes. You work with the elite athletes. Um, you know, some of the athletes are really rocked by this in a slightly different way. So again, like for the parents who are listening or just the community that's listening to, to this podcast, um, those, those folks might need a little bit of an extra conversation um, mm-hmm. because this is very confusing. It, it works completely against the team, teammate, you know, being a member of a group dynamic to hear this story. Um, and so I know that some of, some of the athletes I work with, this has been really difficult as well. And I know too, the black students at UVA, it's just such a smaller percentage of the population that to have a loss of three beautiful members, right. Um, Mm -hmm. it hits harder, it hits harder and it, and yeah, it hits harder. And my heart just goes out to the whole UVA community, but specifically the people who, who were closer to these young men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, and, you know, again, to invite as many folks that are, you know, don't dismiss feeling like, even if you were safe somewhere all night and, and you have no idea why this is bothering you, don't judge it. Like, accept the fact that it's upsetting. It should be upsetting. This is really awful. And, um, and know that you're having a very healthy response if you're bothered by this and upset in some way. And, and do seek some comfort, do seek some help in some way. And, and one of the reasons trauma is kind of a weird thing is, you know, we do access support and help through the mental health services. Um, that's the number one way for right now currently to be treated. 
and and right now in our community, we're all very aware of that. And we're all ready to to be helpful mm-hmm. in, in Charlottesville and in the greater community. Um, but it, this should this is going to be hard, and it's going to be hard for a little while. And the last thing I'm going to say on that, because Sarah and I both have to go as of five minutes ago, <laughs> is even with this trauma, we can also feel joy. We can feel sad and we can feel joy. We can feel scared and we can feel happy. We're going to be feeling all of those emotions over the next few months and years, and we're going to feel them at the same time and at different times. And it's okay to have them all. And don't judge yourself if you're feeling happy for a second. That's okay also. Yeah, no, I, I love that you said that. I think that's so important, especially Thanksgiving around the corner. Yeah. Um, it's a big gathering time for families and and hopefully, you know, everybody will do whatever they do as a family, you know, to maybe send out a little bit of an honor, you know, honoring thought to these folks and these families that are involved in this. But I think also, like you said, yeah, it's really okay to still laugh right now. It's okay. You can, believe it or not, as dysregulating as, as trauma can be, it can, you can still be laughing at something. Absolutely. Okay, Sarah, I'm so happy I got to talk to you. I'll see you again very soon. I can't wait to just text with you again in five minutes. <laughs> Sounds good. Amanda, thanks for talking to me. And, um, and I just want to say, you know, uh, take good care of yourself and everybody at your house. You too. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to like and share the Active and Connected Families podcast if you found this helpful. And if you or someone you love are interested in therapy, you can find out more about our practice at www.virginiafamilytherapy.com. Again, that's www.virginia, all spelled out, therapy.com. Thanks again.